All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning to you all. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for, for being here. Um, I'm looking forward to our time together in this series uh, over the course of the, the fall together, at least over the, la- the next eight weeks or so. Um, I'm really grateful to be able to course through some really, I think, personally, some really important material. Um, and I mean that in terms of, um, well, in terms of just the, the importance of it, first of all, the critical nature of what it is we're going to talk about together in the, in the weeks to come. But in addition to that, the personal um, and sort of powerfully affecting quality um, of this material for me uh, in my own growth in grace. And uh, for those of you, well, let's just do a little little test. How many of you were with us at the very beginning of Cornerstone? It's in this room right now. All right, so maybe maybe half of you in this room, maybe a little less than half. Um, so you, so this, what we're doing, just to give you a little bit of a, a foundation, and even how this this uh, came about, as we were talking in. Uh, I think it was staff meeting one week about Sunday school. This is a you know, long, long time ago. And started thinking about the fall. We said um, there's always a need to go back over the foundations of the faith. And there's a need in various formats to discuss the vision and the values of this local congregation. Ways in which we are committed, uh, the things that we're committed to and the ways we're committed to them. So that, um, so that we can be stirred up, as Peter writes, by way of reminder, right? Um, the Christian life, if you had not figured this out already, it's about relearning what you know like every day. All right? And, and it like starting to stick more and more, okay? And for those truths that are foundational to our faith to become living, breathing realities in our lives. And for that to be true individually, for those of us in this room as we live the Christian life personally, but then also for that to be true corporately for us as a congregation, for us to have uh, as a community um, terms, nomenclature, ways that we describe things, that we know the language that we use. Uh, sometimes what I mean, we find as, as uh, elders, as pastors, in the context of discipling one-on-one with either folks in, in the congregation or people who would have had a saving relationship with Christ for many years and would describe their, their relationship with Christ, um, would have often um, great challenges in expressing some of the most basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's not unusual, especially when you grow up in a context where certain uh, Christianese is spoken, right? You just, we all kind of know what we mean by the things that we say until we actually are like forced to define them. And then we're like, well, I'm not really sure what that means. Um, I'm always surprised at this, even like with my own children and raising my children. One of the things I regularly do, I mean, it, it's a couple times a month, you know, I come to the question, I'll say, what is the gospel? And inevitably, somebody will say something like, believing the Bible. That's really good. That's not the gospel. You know, I get come back and, and, you know, some really great answer like that. And then, you know, they've pretty much, pretty much know my routine now, so I've got to change it up. But, um, you know, to keep them on their toes. But things like that where we would say, oh, yeah, I know the gospel. And then when we're, we're asked it to talk about it, we go, well, you know, it's Jesus and stuff, you know. 
yeah, it's Jesus and stuff. Um, what stuff exactly are we, are we talking about, right? That's pretty important, pretty critical to our faith and understanding of our faith and our ability to communicate the faith both to one another but, but also to the world. Which is, which is the commission that we've been given at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to go share the truths of the Gospel. Well, when we started Cornerstone, one of the things that we wanted to do um, was lay out some of the ways that we think and believe as a congregation, a kind of vision and values distinctive, so that you would know what we mean when we utilize certain terms and why we think those terms are central to who it is that the Lord has called us to be as a local congregation. And over time, though you hear this just about every week at Cornerstone in some way, shape, or form, uh, over time, sometimes the language needs to actually be, be paused for a second and say, let's go back and remember. Let's go back and remember what we said. Now, we need to do that just because we, we get old and forgetful, right? That's just the nature of the human condition. But we also have lots of new faces, you know, in our midst. And there's a need to go back and say, well, we've never heard it quite like that. Even those of you who've been through, say, the Exploring Cornerstone class, and we've talked about the vision of Cornerstone, and we've talked about some of its specifics. It, these foundational discussions that we're going to have together over the next eight weeks are, are further, I hope, elucidating or enlightening to like, oh, that's what we mean. And that's not what we mean. Oh, and I often think about what we mean as not what we mean, and I get those terms confused. And, and to do a little bit of that work together and to create a space where we can do even some workshoppy kind of things, um, to ask questions, to, to go back to the basics and, and discuss even the ways in which we forget them or get off course uh, in our Christian lives and why we need course corrections. I, um, I think of the Sabbath as God's um, timely, meaning he has given us one day in seven, his timely weekly course correction for the whole of our lives. Um, now, I mean, hopefully you have a mini one every, every day when you're talking with the Lord and you're reading the scriptures and you're gathering with the saints, but there's a, something about the Lord's day that's intended to be exactly that, for us to awaken afresh to the things that we know and are trying to know and forget and need to constantly be reminded of. I mean, I know, I know this probably, um, I don't know if it surprises you or not, but this morning I was reading through, uh, believe it or not, I was last minute on the sermon. That never happens, <laughs> but, it, but uh, just true confession time right now. Um, I might have been writing part of it this morning. I, I, might, I might have been doing that. It's a long week. Yes, a long week. Chuck, I'm, I'm talking up here. I mean, this is... Uh, I mean, there was really precious stuff going on. <laughs> um, and I, I, I wrote, you know, as I, as I wrote a piece of the message this morning, early... Um, I was reading through it, and I thought, this is amazing. This is amazing. Okay? Now you go, well, Nate, yeah. I mean, don't you know the story of Joseph? Yes. But like every time I engage, it's like it's the first time. The beauty of who Christ is and his Bible and what he's trying to communicate to us. Um, we need that, that fresh experience uh, of those realities week in and week out. And I want you to know, like, that is as real 
to me as it is hopefully for you in the midst of studying the Word of God each week. And so I want to talk a little bit today about um, this central message of, of the gospel. And, uh, and let's see how much we really know about it. So, yes, sir. Man, you shout. You feel free to shout. And I'll tell you, I don't, know what my, I don't know what my elders would say, but I'm going to tell you, shout an amen if you feel like you need to shout an amen. You know me, I may shout, I may cry as I did last week. I never know what's going to happen with me. I'm, yeah, well, praise God. Praise God for that. Um, well, sometimes he takes five loaves and two fish and does something great. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, there is a handout, believe it or not. Isn't that awesome? You're welcome. Yeah, 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 you're welcome. So here's a handout. Right, right, right. Now, don't get used to this. Don't get, you don't get, don't get used to this. But um, I do plan, Lord willing, to have you a handout each week because I really want you to take this home and I want you to think about it. I want you to study it. I want you to kind of mull it over uh, a bit. And I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be as, as direct and practical uh, from a doctrinal standpoint, and then how these things apply to our hearts and our lives together. And um, yeah, I, I, want, I want it to be um, something, I want it in some ways for these talks and our time together to be tool giver, t- tool giving opportunities. For you're saying, yeah, I'm walking out of here and I actually know how to use these doctrines in, on my heart. Or in relationship. And I may not be really like good at using them yet. <laughs> but at least I've got them. I've got them in my tool belt. I, I can pull them out. I can go back to them. And I can pull out this handout. And that would be the case. And so you'll see it's front and back. And today is, um, I've entitled today, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I try every single week at Cornerstone, and it is a deep part of my personal conviction that preaching should share the gospel every single week to you as you're hearing it. Okay, That's a deep conviction. Not everybody holds that conviction, but I do believe that the central point of the sermon should be the central message of the Bible. All right? Yeah. Amen. The central point of the Bible should be the central point of the message, okay? So we should get to that center place each week as we're together. And one of the responsibilities of the minister is to be paying attention to that in his preaching and in his design and in the way that he is, he is speaking about the Bible and understanding uh, the Bible. And so in one sense, uh, shape, or form, you're hearing the gospel every week in a sermon, and you're, you're kind of, I hope you're poised in some ways, if you've been long listeners, God bless your hearts, to me uh, in preaching of the gospel each week, you've, you've been poised now to listen for it. You're like, he's going to do that thing where we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just do a thing. It's not just like abracadabra, you know, Jesus comes out of a hat, okay? It's not, we're not doing that. We're paying attention to the unfolding of the Bible. It can feel like that as a hearer, okay? It can feel like that as a hearer, right? It's sort of like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, or in some ways like that. But if you're actually listening and watching for the narrative of the Bible, you see that over and over, it's, it's intimating or foreshadowing or symbolizing or specifically telling that this story mirrors apes um, unfolds continually the central message of the Bible, which is Christ and Him crucified. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, that may not mean that, and some people, you know, some people say, well, you if you preach the gospel every week, you know, it's a, it needs to look either like an altar call or it needs to look like a certain form or shape. We don't mean it in that way. We mean it in a way so that those who don't know Christ can see the beauty of him, but those who do know Christ can be reawakened. Um, so it's not just, uh, you know, come to Jesus, be saved every week in that same way, but it's the acknowledgement of we're coming back uh, to the truths of this gospel. And it's as if we are experiencing, on the spot, a renewal of our life with Christ. You'll see at the front of our bulletin, what do we actually structure this? What do we call the service? It's a service of gospel renewal. Okay? That's actually there. You may be like, I've never seen that. Well, what's that? You know, look, at, look at that. And that's intimating to you. It's indicating to you what we believe is going on. Now, that's in terms of both the structure of the service and its content. But I won't go into that today. I'm actually going to talk about what's on your handout, believe it or not. Um, the, I want to, before we jump in, I really just want to ask the Lord to, to give us real deep openness with one another and with his spirit uh, in our time together. Um, really prayerful that the Lord would make this a really special, special time for you and for me uh, talking about these truths and, and for others who will come in and will discuss um, aspects of our church vision together. And in some ways that you'll be renewed in your, in your love for Christ, but in your love for his church. Um, and to say, these are the, man, these are the people, and this is, you know, this is the context that God has placed me. I love it. I want to throw my whole heart into it. Okay, that kind of, you know, the Lord would grant us that. Because there's so many things vying for your affections and intentions as it is mine. And, and I understand how the church can get way on down the list. Uh, with regards to Christ, though, um, the church is the bride that he has purchased with his own blood. It's the most precious thing to him. And we want to we treat her in this time together with great uh, care and with uh, the honor and the respect that she deserves, um, knowing what he's paid for her. So let, let's keep that in mind as we talk about these truths and we talk about the church together. Let's pray to that end. Lord in heaven, only you can do what I was speaking towards just now. And, and that is really open up our hearts to see and behold beautiful and wonderful things from your word. And I would just ask you would help me um, be your, genuinely, your spokesperson. Um, you know how my tongue can get ahead of me or um, things can come out that are not clear as they ought to be. Would you protect me from that? And would you be genuinely the, the one who is communicating um, in a way that's unmistakable to us here in this room? Come and show us uh, your power and your glory, and begin to uh, reawaken us in a fresh way to what Christ has done and what he's called us to. Uh, Lord, come and, come and bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have given you an objective for today, so hopefully we'll accomplish this, to understand the critical difference between the gospel and what is often passed off as the gospel but is not so that we can truly know the gospel and begin to experience the power of the gospel and communicate the gospel to our hearts and others. All right? That's really what we're going to try to do together today. And I think if you lose track over the rest of the time together, you go, okay, all right, that's what we're, we're trying to do together today. As you can see, there's some definition of terms in that, right? 
we're going to try to understand the critical difference. The work of theology is actually definitional in nature. Okay? The goal is to bring definition, to bring understanding, so that we can demarcate or draw a line between that which is true and that which is not, and look at where we get confused or where things get muddied in our minds, because they always do, and come back to those definitions and go, oh yeah, that's the straight edge right there. There it is. I can see it again. That's really a big part of what we're going to try to do today. Okay, We're going to try to be definitional, to understand the gospel, and then what is often passed off as the gospel, but it's not. Or maybe we have captured in some way, it says, what it means to be a Christian. Um, that might be a way of describing it, what it means to be a Christian. And then to begin to experience, okay, we want this to actually have an impact of the power of the gospel in our hearts, and then learn to actually speak it back, to actually communicate it, all right? As you know, at the point you can begin to communicate something, and it's understandable to others, and it's true, you're beginning to get it, right? That's a really important part of, of genuine growth and knowledge is being able to actually open up and, and share. It doesn't have to be in this kind of context, but in some kind of context to share what it is that you believe uh, and to be able to understand the gospel. And so we won't, we're objective is driving towards that. We'll get as far as we, as we can together uh, today. So I want to start with what was considered by Martin Luther to be the foundations, literally his words, foundation on which the church stands or falls. So if you want to know, like, the foundation on which the church stands or falls, he argued, it's right here, the doctrine of justification. What we have come to know and love and is precious to us as Presbyterians, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Okay? Now, when we say the word justification, um, we may not immediately um, have a definition, okay, that's in view. So I have literally given you a definition, okay, that's here so you can understand what we mean when we say justification by faith alone. And we quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That, that salvation. Um, so you can understand what we mean when we're talking about that term because in the gospel, that word gospel, in the good news, this doctrine is front and center. Okay? It's, the word gospel was informed with this word, this doctrinal reality of justification. And so we need to have a grasp on what it is so we can understand what, really what the gospel is. So let's look at this definition together. And then I've given you some, some scriptures um, a, as well. And we'll glance at just a couple of them. Look at this definition. And I've highlighted a couple of key words. Justification is that legal act of God by which he declares our sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, a lot in that term. It's notice a legal act. Okay, so it is a, it is a that's why we refer to it as a declaration. It is, if we're in a courtroom, it's the moment where the judge or the, the spokesman for the jury makes a declaration about the, um, the, the person on trial, makes a declaration about them specifically. And the declaration that is given to us as Christians is not guilty. Okay, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. Sin's forgiven. 
not guilty. That declaration is the case, okay? It's a legal act. But notice it's more than that. It declares our sins are forgiven, but then notice Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Okay, so not only does it just give you, which is often the case, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that great? That's great, but there's a problem. You're going to sin again. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big issue that needs to be dealt with. And so not only does he forgive our sins, but he charges to our account all the righteousness and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ so that our status is unshakably certain and can't change. We're not only not guilty, we are perfectly righteous. We're not only got a clean slate, we have the fullness of the account of Jesus credited to our account. You see how, you see how full that is. Those are two sides of this notion of justification. There's a charging of our sins to Christ. He paid for them on the cross. He took our penalty. And there's a charging of his righteousness to us. We receive all of his goodness, all of his merits, all of his righteousness. Um, it's, it's fully and completely yours. I sometimes use the illustration of you know, pulling the drawer out of the filing cabinet of heaven, right? And pulling your file out of it. And it has like every thought you've had, every word you've ever had, every day. And you've got, oh boy, this is going to be fun as God reads it. You know, in the presence of everybody. And then as he reads it, he says something like, you know, she was a perfect daughter. Um, never had an errant thought, or word, or deed. It's fully righteous and glorious, perfect in every way, could not be bettered. And, and you, you're listening to it and you go, I think we have the wrong file. <laughs> right? And at one level of speaking... Praise God, we have the wrong file. It's not your file, but it is your file. It's Jesus' file that's in your file, right? It's all of who he is, is yours. It's beautifully and gloriously yours. You see how powerful that doctrine is? Did you just sense it? Okay, it's, it's transformative. It's why Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God. It's not, it's not merely a message. It is certainly a message. <laughs> but it's actually a transformative power. It's something when you begin to self-identify in the gospel, it gives you a, a steadiness, a, a security, a, a simultaneously a humility, uh, a, a, a joy, an eagerness, a willingness to suffer, because uh, you've got your sights on what's been given to you and you know where you're headed. I mean, like all of that begins to happen. Now for us, right, that happens for like 30 seconds at a time, right? And then it gets shook out of us as soon as like we walk out of the church doors or we wake up Monday morning, which is why we've got to stir each other up by way of reminder, okay? In, in these truths, if you can see on these basic truths I'm outlining here, God's justification provides an unmovable foundation for a new identity and standing, Okay? Now, here's what's great about that is according to the, to the Reformation, the Reformers, as they read Genesis 15, 6, which speaks of Abraham's faith in God, and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. When he trusted in God's promises, God credited to him the righteousness. That was, it wasn't that he was righteous. We, we just studied Abraham, 
right? He's not, it's not that he was righteous. It was that when he trusted in the promises of God, the righteousness of God was credited to him. It was charged to his account. It's a salvation that's outside of him, but is given to him. That same language is what Paul uses in Romans 3.26 and in Romans 4.5, where he speaks of Jesus as the just and the justifier of all those who believe in him. Meaning that he has fully upheld the justice of God. He was perfect at every level. He fully received our sin, which means that justice has been um, has been served and the wrath of God has been quenched. And so now he has received the justice of God. He's fulfilled the justice of God. He can then become what? The justifier of all those who trust in him. Okay? So the same reality that happened for Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, is ours in Christ. That's just a picture of what the gospel is actually doing. Now, I commend these other scriptures to you. If you really want to begin to dive in deeply to these realities and renew your heart in them, please follow the footnote trail or the reference trail in this document. And I think you'll be encouraged throughout the week as those doctrines continue to be stirred within you. Now, here's the second thing. And this is where we often get confused. And it's the doctrine of sanctification. Okay, these two in what is called the order of salvation. Some of you are probably familiar with that, that term. But it's the, when we speak of salvation, there's a lot of different components to it. We might speak of um, God's effectual call through the Holy Spirit. We might speak of regeneration or coming to life. We might speak of faith and repentance. We might speak of justification. We might speak of sanctification or glorification. There's lots of different terms that fall under the banner of this idea of salvation in its fullest sense in biblical uh, terminology. But these two, and I'm focusing on these two because these two are so often confused. Okay? Justification, our standing, and sanctification um, the, the work that we're now about. Okay? Notice the definition and notice how different it is. Sanctification is that gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he purifies the sinner and renews his whole nature in the image of God and enables him to perform good works. Okay? Now notice key words here. Doctrine of justification is it's a legal act. Notice you're not doing anything. It is done for you and it is a declaration that is made by God about you. There's no way for you to lose it. She didn't have anything to do with it. (laughs) You can't change things that you don't have anything to do with. That's the reason we have eternal security is because he has saved us. That his grip on us is so much stronger than our grip on him. All right, that's the glory of justification. Now, in light of that, notice you've got stuff to do. The sanctification doctrine, this growing in sanctity or purity, is a gracious, continuous operation of the Holy Spirit. It's happening right now. It's ongoing in you. It's a movement. It's a living principle. So does a verdict, like, get different tomorrow? No. It's a verdict. Does a continuous operation change? Yeah. All right? So there are days where you're walking closely with the Lord and you sense the growth of the Lord and you can see the fruit of the Lord and there are times where you, you don't. All right? And there are times where the intimacy with the Lord is, is, is up and down. 
and the Holy Spirit in terms of the appropriating power of that Spirit at work in you varies in terms of how renewed or how enabled you may be at any given moment. Right? That's di- it's dynamic. So the doctrine of justification is legal and declarative. The doctrine of sanctification is dynamic and, and moving. All right? It's really important that you see the differences of those. So notice the Spirit's ongoing work, it's progressive. That's how, it, how the change happens in us. The scope, it's over the whole of the man. The Spirit accomplishes three things, purity, renewal, and the power to be able to do good works. Okay? That's happening with us. That's the deposit of the Holy Spirit doing that work within us through the, through the gospel. Now, if you look at the bottom, I've given you an extensive quote by Richard Lovelace. Okay, some of you will know, know Richard Lovelace probably. Um, taught for a good number of years at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, up, in, up in Boston. And this is from his book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. There's a number of good, really good quotes that could be utilized here, but I think this one kind of helps us. I know it's a little lengthy, but if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read the whole thing and then focus on that, that dark print. Here's what Lovelace says. Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. All right? Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness, and they don't really have a sense of who God is, an extent of guilt of their sin, that consciously they see little need for justification. So when they hear the doctrine of justification, they're like, all right, I'm a pretty good person anyway. And God's a pretty, like, I mean, he's kind of a grandfather in the sky. So, well, I don't know why you guys are so excited about this. That's what he's saying. They have a light apprehension of God's holiness. They don't sense the extensiveness of their guilt. So they see a little need of justification. Although, notice this, below the surface of their lives, they are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. (laughs) They don't have a strong place in which they understand their identity. They don't have a really strong sense of who God is. They don't have an accurate sense of who they are. The justifying work of Christ is not very precious to them. And they're often up and down and deeply insecure because that's the case. We'll, we'll tease that out if you have a question about that. Many others have a theoretical commitment to this doctrine. But in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification. We'll come back to that. In other words... They rely on how they're doing in terms of how they feel in terms of their relationship with God. They rely on their sanctification for their sense of standing. Does that make sense? How many good works they're doing. How pure they're doing. How faithful they've been. That's how they really experience their relationship with God, however good that is. In the moment, they rely on their just sanctification for their justification. In the Augustinian manner, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or relative infrequency of their conscious willful disobedience. That's the things they look to. It always makes me a little bit nervous when I ask someone to describe their Christian life and they go, Well, I gave my life to Jesus back at youth camp many, many years ago. Oh, wonderful. And what's your life been with Christ? Well, I, you know, he saved me back then. 
right. So how is your walk, you know, how, what does it mean today to be a Christian? A past experience. I'm locating all of my eggs there. Or I had a pretty good day yesterday. I feel pretty good. Okay. What does that have to do with your standing? Nothing. Now, it's important. It has nothing to do with your standing. It's really important. And don't get them confused. We'll press into that. Notice what he says here in the bold. Few know to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted. Looking outward in faith, claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ. That means other than you. The righteousness that's not yours but Christ. As the only ground for your acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce. Now it's going to do something. Which will produce increasing sanctification. As faith is active in love. And gratitude. Now, he really just summarized the dynamic of the whole of the Christian life. He says, very few of us know how to wake up in the morning and go to the doctrine of justification and go, that is what is true about me in Jesus. And there's nothing about yesterday or today that could change that. Few of us are like, we wake up and we go, I hope it'll be a good day. Friends, it's a great day every day when you're justified in Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're alive to the standing of him, you should be astonished that that's always true of you. Like that's the starting place of your life. He says, few know how to do that. Few have the soul, if I could put it this way, the facility of soul to be aware of that reality and appropriate. It's a great term. Appropriate the truth of that reality to their daily walk with Christ. Few know how to do that. And then notice what he says it does. If they live that way with that understanding and they begin to have awakenness to the reality of what Christ has done, he says, what does he say it does? It produces in them sanctification. It produces, it enables, it purifies, it motivates, it drives, it fuels growth in grace. It, it, it gives you the desire to want to be pure, not have to be pure. To want to do good works, like the Christ who has done the greatest work for you. you. You now are motivating from a place of love and gratitude. The very central dynamic that flows out of justification by faith alone. That's now driving your obedience to the following of God's commands. This is why David could say, when I read your commands, they're not burdensome to me. They're like honey to me. You go, I read his commands are not honey. I read his commands are cardboard to me. It's because you're not reading them with the eyes of Christ. You're not reading them with the eyes of Christ. I often will do this, and we'll, we'll come back and, and do this a little bit more. But when you look at the law... Okay, so if you can see how this doctrine, uh, these doctrines will relate. Um, if you can look at the law through the lens of justification for a minute. Okay, so let's take the Ten Commandments. That I'm just going to assume in this room that you've broken them. Okay, if you have a trouble with embracing that, we can talk afterwards. We should talk afterwards. Uh, if that was the case. Um, I'm going to assume that we're all guilty of the law and we've fallen short of God's glory and we're deserving of his wrath and of his judgment. Okay, that's the kind of status of, of um, who we are uh, previous uh, to Christ. When we look at the law then, and the law calls us and commands us 
to do these things. What's your initial apprehension? How does your soul apprehend the law if that's your status, if you've broken it? What, what do you feel? What do you experience? It's not a trick question. Anybody know? What, what do you feel when, you're, when you have broken the law and someone reads the law to you? Thank you, John. Do y'all feel guilt? I hope y'all feel guilt. The right kind of guilt. I feel guilt. I, when someone says that, I feel, I feel guilt. And so I go, how do I get to honey? <laughs> okay, right. If David is saying it's sweet, I'm missing something. Because all I see is what I'm failing at. And that's not sweet. All right? So I'm, where am I looking at the doctrine of my status at that point? I'm looking at it without Christ. Right? Without Christ, I'm utterly guilty and declared guilty because I am really guilty of those things. That's what I look like. Now, under the status of justification, where Christ has fully fulfilled the law for me, all of it has been credited to my account. There is in no way that Jesus has fallen short. And all of who Jesus is is yours. Now look at the law. He is beautiful to me. He's beautiful to me. Because when I read, thou shalt not steal, I think Jesus never stole. And the perfection of all of Jesus' generosity and his faithfulness on my behalf has now been given to me to such a degree that when I've even thought of stealing or actually stolen, he paid for that penalty and now has given me through great generosity all of what is his. And that standing is what I enjoy right now before the Lord. I love the command, thou shalt not steal, because I see in it what Christ has done for me. See how different that is? It's fundamentally different. All right? We're looking at the commands now through the status of justification. Now, let's look at it in sanctification. Let's look at the lens through sanctification. We're going to put the sanctification, you know, the Holy Spirit continuously operating within me to purify me, to enable me to do good works. This is also the truth of the Scripture. And we have been called, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. But 10, he has prepared works beforehand that you should walk in them. <laughs> okay? So walking in those works is the case. So now, as I think about it in sanctification, what do I begin to do now looking at the law? I see thou shalt not steal, and I think, well, the guilt of that law has been removed from me. Praise be to God. The fullness of the righteousness of Christ has been credited to me. Now in the doctrine of sanctification, I want to grow into what I have been given in Jesus. That becomes the spirit of the Christian. I want to stir up my heart and affections towards what Christ has done so that I now, having found such beauty in Jesus and such finished work in his law, I now want to grow into the law. It becomes for me a sweet thing. This is why when the scriptures say to you, when Jesus says to you, my law is not burdensome. <laughs> it's not burdensome. And you think, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Because it, because it kind of feels like a burden. You're telling me to take up a cross, and then you're telling me it's not burdensome. What's he doing? This. Th this, is what he, this is what is in mind. 
When you take up the cross with Jesus already have done the lifting, it weighs really differently. It's a light and easy yoke. It's a joy to serve my Savior. Okay? Sanctification begins to happen when you apply the law and the realities of its call to your, to your heart in this particular way. Renewal begins to happen. And you begin to say, oh, no, I don't, you know, I got to go do that thing. So if you, if you find yourself going, oh, man, I got to go do that thing. Well, you've lost sight of it. You've lost sight of all we're talking about. That's okay. I do it every day. And you know what's beautiful? He forgave that too. That's awesome. That's amazing. Right? You see, you see what it just did, though? Rather than going, oh, man, I'm just such a jerk. I'm such, a, I'm, I'm such an idiot. Rather than shaming myself. Because I'm actually purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's no reason to do that. I could just confess and embrace his love and be changed and restored on the spot. See how that's different? It's really different. Really different. Okay? Now, from a cornerstone standpoint, like, we want you to know that, like, really bad. (laughs) Like, really bad. Like, that gets me up in the morning. That's why I do what I do, is that those realities would be living within us as a people, and living within me, but living within us as a people, and that we become a gospel-reminding community, all right? That we become people who can inculcate um, through word and through action and through manner and way the spirit of these realities in the lives and the hearts of one another. Um, there may be a time where we do something like, um, you know, and you can see this actually. Well, turn over your outline for just a second. You can see we'll get to all of this. That was a joke. We will not get to all of this. Do not worry. I'll be better with my jokes in the future so you'll know that they're jokes. I'm clear with that. So notice two options here that Loveless gives us so you can see this. You can either base your justification on your sanctification, all right? Meaning that your standing comes from your performance, which is the, often the religious model. Like when, like when my kids, I mean, it's the default mechanism of my kid's heart and, and of my heart. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the gospel? I should read my Bible, right? That's religion. That's religion, Yes. Uh, not, not, not for you, Will. No, not for no. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what's on my mind as you're going through those two options. Yeah, yeah. Right. Really hard right now. I feel like to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Some of us have that psychosis. Yes, exactly. And, and stay with the series because we're, the next, next week, the topic is how to apply these truths to our hearts. All right. And that's what you're getting to. Like practically, how does one parent or how does one disciple or how does one self-talk? Because, you know, we do that all the time. <laughs> so, so what are we listening to and how are we assessing? And so we're going to get actually to that as a bit of an example. I'll, I'll actually use a little bit of that example. So, so this basing your standing on your performance, you neither do that 
Or you can base your sanctification on your justification, which is the nature of the gospel. That this is what Christ has done, and this is what he has declared you to be. Now, in light of that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, live. Live as, he, live as he's called you uh, to live. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to um, jump down. Why don't you just jump down to point C? Because okay, I, think, I think we've pretty much covered those three, three options there. If you can see how these ways develop, let me show you this. Justification without sanctification all right, produces this thing called antinomianism. That's just a fancy word that means anti-law. Okay, anti-law. So, so let, let, me be a, let me be an antinomian for a second. Um, an antinomian says, I am fully accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ and there is nothing that I can do, good or bad, that would compromise me my salvation and my standing with him. Therefore, I won't do anything. Catch that? Or I'm going to become just really comfortable with my sin. Jesus wasn't comfortable with your sin. In fact, he died to get rid of it. So that's not the answer. You see what's going on there? Justification without a strong sense of sanctification creates a person who lives anti-law. Okay, in the scriptures, this is, you know, this is the prodigal son, right? Throwing it all off, right? I'm going to the far country. This is your freshman year in college or whatever. I don't know all your stories, but I know enough. All right? Number two, sanctification without justification produces legalism. Right? So it's all about my works and what I do, and I have no secure standing. So I got to do everything. <laughs> like the one person is like, I don't have to do anything. The other person is like, I got to do everything. Right? It's a completely different spiritual habit, a spiritual heart, a condition. Rather than number three, which is justification, informing and motivating sanctification produces a gospel response. Or sanctification resting in, activated by justification, produces a gospel response. You keep those in relationship with each other. Now, if, you, if you'll watch yourself, there are times, I mean, if you're just real honest, there are times where you need to hear, and it'll be often, like daily, of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And you need the restfulness of that because you are stressed and joyless and you're just going to go through the list. You're like, I need to be reminded of what is really the good news. And then there are times where you're going to be sitting there fat and happy and you really need a swift kick in the pants. what you need. And you need to go over here to sanctification and you need to say, listen, the Bible doesn't know of any Christian who doesn't work out their salvation with fear and trembling. It just doesn't know of one. Okay, and, and see what the Bible's doing is it's actually, and, and this is, I call it being nimble. The Bible's call, it's calling your soul to be nimble, to be alive, so that you don't just rest or tilt in one direction or another. But you'll find throughout the day you're going to need justification, sanctification. I'm going to need justification. And you're going to have to, you know, and we'll talk about next week together how to actually begin to rehearse those truths together. Isn't this amazing? This is awesome. What a privilege. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these truths. I, I, I've been just astonished at your love for us. And, and that you would be so kind to not leave us in, in just this standing, but to grow us in purity. And that you didn't leave us to do it on our own, but you gave us the Holy Spirit to do that work in and through us. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that these truths will become so beautiful to us. And we become very conversant with how to utilize them in our own souls. Lord, minister to us through these truths. Bring us back next week so that we can learn better how to apply them and go deeper into the nature of how our heart works in relationship to you. Father, bless all your people in these truths and lead us this week in them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you all.